Hi, this is Robert Schuler with Melissa's Produce, and you're listening in on Corn Vines and Dimes. Cat, somehow it got to be Sunday again. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. We had a good Sunday already. Oh boy, yes we did. We went to downtown public in Murrieta. We had a staff meeting. We did. We had a, and we actually did uh, discuss business. Yes, we did. And Over a bottle of bubbles. Yes. And a good brunch. Very good brunch. You had the avocado toast, but it was called oh. not your average or not. Yeah, something like that. It was really good. A lot of avocado and tomato yes. with a... Egg over easy on top on sourdough. Oh, oh, oh. And I had, oh my God, brekkie. <laughs> Yours was good. Yours was so big. Really good. It was a, a nice soft bun with Italian sausage and fluffy egg inside. And then a, a green salad with arugula and uh, just mixed greens and uh, french fries. It had a really interesting texture to them. It was good. Yeah, delicious. Very good. I'm going to go back next week with my daughter. Yeah. And I still have half of it left for another time. It was huge. Yeah. Big. But we just got through listening to part of Desperado, the band not, Desperado. Yes, not by the Eagles. That is the band. That's Desperado. the band Desperado. We That leads us into our interview uh, with, with Ricky. Ricky Lewis. Yes, so we'll be visiting with Ricky Lewis. We have our friend Paul Preston, the movie guy. He'll be mm-hmm. joining us. Uh, have you heard of Famous Puddin'? You know, I have, but not totally familiar with it until we saw them over. Was that Europa? We- yes, we saw them at the uh, the Toaster Taste of Europa, and then uh, we visited with father and son, the uh, Puddin creators, and it's not a banana, not pudding. It's it's pudding, P U D N pudding, and then uh, I've just. Couldn't be happier that we have become friends with Eileen St. Lawrence. Isn't she a sweetheart? I just adore her. And she's just published a book called Southern Light, Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, it's the follow-up to a, a book she published uh, earlier called Good Life, Mississippi. And she is just a gem. And uh, A Pulitzer Prize nominee. Yes, she's nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. And this book, I'm telling you, wow. You can pry it out of my hands pretty soon, I hope so. Gosh, you've been hogging these books. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Are we going to get into Paul? Paul Preston, the movie guy. Let's get into that. Let's see what he's been watching. Hello, good listeners of Chords, Vines, and Dines. This is Paul Preston from the movie guys chiming in again with movies. Yeah, I'm going to keep doing this until the show becomes Chords, Vines, Dines, and Movies. We'll see. But for now, I'm going to contribute once a month, and I'm happy to follow up on my last contribution to this show, where I talked about all of the films I saw at the Telluride Film Festival with a follow-up. Now, the problem with film festivals is there is so much good stuff playing at a film festival of the caliber of Telluride, or Tribeca, or Sundance, or Seattle, or Toronto, that 
the stuff you miss is going to be amazing. So now I'm catching up on that stuff, and I wanted to tell you about one film I saw recently that I missed at Telluride and saw this month. It's called The Mission, and it is another documentary because the documentaries were just killing it at Telluride, and it's about a modern-day Christian missionary who goes to the Sentinelese Islands to convert the people there to Christianity. This isn't a real-life event that happened, obviously, it's a documentary, so you may have even heard about when it happened, it made the news, because the Sentinelese know nothing about our society. They are an island people virtually untouched by modern civilization, and John Chow, the subject of this film, thought they should know Jesus and be saved. So, they kill him. No spoilers there. That's how the movie starts, and again, that's the fact from history. But it's the end game for John Chow. That's the real exploration of the film. Why does he do this? What makes a person do this? Is there some sort of blind following going on? Or is he rabid? Is he uh, pure of heart? And his whole t- There's a lot going on and a lot of talking heads telling you what they think happened here and using a lot of historical context with this island and previous people who visited it to build their stories. Every school of thought on that opinion gets heard. So that's fascinating, including one that I'm right aligned with. And I'd be curious to see where your mind lands in terms of John Chow's personal story. Is it important? Is it exceptional? Is it worth dying for? And the film is wise in that it lets you have those thoughts. Now, of course, his journey there didn't involve a lot of footage because you can't bring cameras onto this island. It's a, again, it's an untouched island. So there isn't a lot of footage. So a lot of times they goof on documentaries because they have a lot of perhaps too much animation. Seems like animation fills in a lot of gaps of the storytelling that could be done other ways. But you have to have animation in this one because there's so much footage that's just impossible to get. And the animation is outstanding. It shows a lot of situations and potentially how they went down and it adds a little color to them as well in terms of extra feelings that filmmakers are trying to get out of you in showing these moments. Uh, this is from National Geographic Documentaries. They're on a roll. They made Free Solo. They made Fire of Love. Uh, Free Solo is excellent if you haven't seen that. And this is another one that is uh, right down the middle of excellent movie from them. There's great surprises throughout it, and it's a fascinating story and a fascinating topic to talk about so big recommendation for that check out the mission it opened in october it may be streaming now perhaps if not get out to the theater and check it out also we just had halloween i hope you saw ghostbusters i do it every year at halloween time it's my favorite halloween movie it's one of my favorite movies of all time actually top three funniest movies ever made right there with airplane and blazing saddles but There's not a lot else going on in the fall sometimes. You might consider it a lull between the big summer movies and the big holiday movies or the big awards films, which are just around the corner in December and January. So this might be a good time for you to go out and hit the retro houses. And we have a lot of them here in L.A. If you're not listening in L.A., find where they are because it's always worth it. In L.A., we have Vidiots in Eagle Rock. We have the New Beverly Cinema, Quentin Tarantino's Cinema in Hollywood. And we have a new one in the mix, Uh, Not to mention places like the American Cinematheque, which shows a lot of old features. But now, the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures now shows a lot of retro stuff. They're going to show movies from throughout the history of film. Stuff that you may not get the chance to see on the big screen anywhere else at all. And a lot of times accompanied by the filmmakers or 
filmmakers who respect and love the movie that they're showing, so they wanted to introduce it. Recently there, I went to see Apollo 13, and Rob Legato, who was nominated for the visual effects for that film, introduced it. He didn't win then, but uh, boy did he win after that for Hugo, for Titanic, Avatar, uh, one of the big names in visual effects, very funny and a great presentation of some behind-the-scenes stuff before the film. So check anything out that's coming to the Academy Museum if you're in L.A. And again, if you're not in L.A., find that retro house in your town because it's always filled with the faithful. The people who populate that theater are the people who are super psyched to check out that movie. And you're not going to see your favorite films with a better audience than when you're at a retro house like that. So that's where I'll be with an upcoming screening of The Warriors at Vidiots. Yes, the Walter Hill 70s gang violence movie. I haven't seen that in literally three, four decades. And so that'll be something I'm doing, oh, in about a week and a half. No doubt I'll report on that in next month's Chords, Vines, and Dines. In the meantime, head out to the movies for the mission and check out everything I'm up to, including podcasts, articles, reviews, and more at themovieguys.net. Thanks. Don't you love that segment with Paul Preston, the movie guy? You know, maybe we should change it to Chords, Vines, Dines, and music or Movies. It's too long. <laughs> C-V-D-M. M. Well, I don't know. Let's, Let's think about it. We'll think about it. We'll, right now, we'll leave it as is. Yeah, then we'll talk to Paul. Maybe we'll make some little changes in there. Yeah, mix it up for 2024, yeah, which is right good? around the corner. I know. As is Thanksgiving. Oh, we got some Thanksgiving cooking to do here. I pulled out some magazines and found some really yummy-sounding recipes. and I can't believe that I'm saying this. One of them was for shredded... Uh, Brussels sprouts. I know. With ham and uh, pecans, I think. Yeah, and I told you we should cut out some cranberries, and you said maybe pomegranates. That sounds yeah, good. Yeah, wouldn't that be good? So we'll have to, uh, you know what, let's let's create these recipes and post them on our page. Absolutely. Using, of course, Melissa's produce. Of course. I love Melissa's produce. I love Melissa's produce, too. I love Melissa. <laughs> we could have to have a song like that. Okay, maybe John uh, Lane can write it for us. Yeah, I have to. I have to get a hold of John. We need to have John on our show. We do. He's supposed to do a new theme for us, but yeah, uh, he's working on it. Okay, so we heard Desperado at the beginning of the show. We saw them. We saw we their whole at the concert at the Coach House. We did, uh, starting with an acoustic set that went about an hour, and then they took maybe twenty minute break, and they came back and did an hour and a half, maybe of uh, electric. Electric, and yeah. They're very, very good. Didn't you like Ricky with his uh, double neck guitar yes. at, the, at oh, the end? Incredible. Yes, we did photos for them, and it was our introduction, really, to Desperado. I've heard of them, yeah. but never got the opportunity to see them. And um, so they were excellent. Yes. Absolutely excellent. And I know people like to sometimes knock down tribute bands, but there are a couple of tribute bands like Desperado that actually pay great tribute to the Eagles. And they're good musicians. They're actually, they're not playing to tracks. They're playing, they're making They're playing. Music. Yeah. And the thing is, they give you a little history about the songs, too. They do, too. Yeah. how it was written and, no. So they're, they're not just up there playing. They are performing and teaching at the same time. Yeah, four generations. Four gen- that's the word <laughs> I'm looking for. Four generations going. And, uh, and I believe it. I mean, look at my grandson, 14, and he knows the Eagles. He huh? sure does. 
And uh, speaking of coaches, I do want to give a little plug to our friends, the Gunboat Kings. Yes, they're opening for Ambrosia on and December 22nd. That's right. I think we will be there. We're, gonna, we're sure going to give it a shot. And we had Eldon there. Lasalda. Right? Yeah, guitar. He was a guest last week, right? Yep, guitar, sax, singer, songwriter uh, on our show last week. So if you missed it, you could check that out and download it or however you like to listen to it. But it was great. We had... Some of the Gumboat King's music on there. We did. I still have those green eyes going through my head. <laughs> I cannot get that song out out of my mind. So, are we? Should we go on to uh, to our interview with Ricky Lewis? Let's from do Desperado? it. Desperado. Let's shall. I gotta tell you, I've heard a lot of tribute bands, but I've never heard one like Desperado. Oh my goodness. The Eagles tribute band, and we're fortunate to have Ricky Lewis, lead guitarist for the band, joining us today. Hi, Ricky. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate that so much. It was so nice of you guys to uh, come down and, uh, and uh, take some shots of the of the show, and we got some good stuff we'll be using, and uh, yeah, it was really nice to meet both of you, and uh, of course, we have a, a mutual friend as well, Mr. Robert. Robert uh, Rankin-Walker, one, one, yeah, one of our best friends. He's been a friend of mine for many, 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 many years and has been booking several of my shows and books and all kinds of stuff. But I think the favorite one is, of course, Desperado, which he knows is going to be a, always going to be a sold-out show and he's always going to get a, a good show from the guys. And uh, so much fun, so much fun doing this Eagle stuff, you know? And that's quite, it's quite an evening. I mean, you, you kick things off with an acoustic set. Uh, and then, uh, boy, the <laughs> all bets are off. You come out just blazing with your electric set, and uh, if you close your eyes, you would swear you were listening to the Eagles. Well, we we try and make it as authentic as we can, and uh, that idea came a few years back, and uh, with of course the, uh, the owners of, of Coach Oscarry and uh, establishment there, and of course Aaron. Yeah, he came up with a great idea. He threw it at me, and I'm going, it sounds fantastic. So, because uh, I love doing some of those older songs on a sort of an unplugged basis, uh, where you can, you know, it, it's more intimate for the audience. And uh, the purists really dig it because, you know, they haven't heard these songs played by bands, and including the Eagles. They haven't played these songs in, you know, decades. And uh, we, we pull these things out, and we've got, you know, Tom Waits' song in there, and we've got uh, uh, Bernie, Bernie Ledden's song that he co-wrote with, uh, I think it was uh, Graham Parsons from The Birds. And that's a real sweet song called Trailing Here This Morning. And uh, just this stuff, it just... It's just so embedded in our past and, you know, who we were growing up. And uh, it was some of the finest music we could find at that time. And we were all partying to that and Steely Dan and Dewey Brothers, all these guys. But I think overall the Eagles was the overall favorite. And uh, it shows in their record sales, of course, you know, their their greatest hits album uh, took the spot of number one uh, selling record of all time. Wow. And that's a pretty big, uh, pretty big accolade, you know, for, for, <laughs> for anyone to, uh, to have a label with. So it's, uh, it's just, I think it's, it's soft enough music, yet it's got enough energy in, in a lot of the songs uh, that the people go on sort of an emotional ride with it, uh, you know, because you're laid back. 
doing the kickback stuff, like, you know, I'll best of my love and number one hit, by the way. And then you come out with a heart at tonight and, and uh, tequila and then peaceful, which are two of the nicest soft country rock songs I think ever written. Tequila sunrise and peaceful easy feeling. Uh, then we do those back to back. And then you come out, you know, with one of these nights, which is just a, smoking vocal song with great backgrounds and a great lead vocal uh that Aaron just smokes it on it he just kills it every time and uh then you you know you come out with a you know uh, uh, the life in the fast lane and, and uh you know rocky mountain way that's not even an eagle song but no. the, audience no. lo- <laughs> the audience is love it well they've been doing it in the eagles since uh late 70s when not joe when joe joined him of course he brought that right in with him along with uh turn stone which is another showstopper. That's a Joe Walsh song. You'd think just the purists would be the, the admirers of that, but it's actually everyone likes it because it sort of showboats the band and what we can do and be a little bit loose with some improvisational skills and as opposed to doing the, you know, the rigid exact parts. We can cut loose in that a little bit, and I think the people really show the enjoyment of that. And, uh, of course, we wind it on up with, with uh, Already Gone, and uh, then we take it back down again with the song Desperado. It's a nice, soft spot in the night, and, you know, people are kind of riled up at that time, so we take them back down. And then, of course, we do the showstopper of showstoppers, <laughs> which is Hotel California. <laughs> you know, the Hotel California with the double neck guitar. All right. And comments about that nobody knows what it is and i got a one guy in san diego down at the belly up he said that's the finest double neck guitar i've ever heard in my life it sounds amazing i go well i bought it and i set it up and i've been playing it for about eight or nine years yeah. <laughs> it's so far so far it's treating me good so i try to treat it good you know as best i can so and uh you know we end up with uh most of the time we'll end up the uh, the last song will be get over it which is of course one of the newer ones but it's just kind of got a good rock ending that keeps uh, the audience lifted up because how do you top off hotel california i mean think about that what are you going to do to top that one off well we don't top it we don't top it off we just keep up with the energy and the and the laughter and the the comedy and that song get over it because it has got some community value value to it uh that that don henley of course wrote and his his, his cynicism and his sarcasm which he's written in a heck of a lot of songs but that one he kind of went over the top with and i think it's just fantastic And, and then we wind up doing a if we need another encore a lot of times we will most time we do we'll wind up doing uh like walk away another james gang song and everybody knows it in the audience and here's the, the real uh inspiring thing to me the thing that really touches me uh the most about our shows is we have like four generations come we have the grandparents our parents uh their kids and their kids kids so it's like four generations yeah. of people coming in from the 80s to the you know to the 12 year olds and they bring their kids there and they bring the kids up to say hi and the kids just really like the songs and it's getting them you know getting them started off on a good foot with some really you know good wholesome music uh, compared to a lot of stuff nowadays, which doesn't really take them anywhere, it just kind of kind of sits there and it's got a beat and it's got some lyrics and half the lyrics you can't understand right. anyway. But when you listen to an Eagle song, you know exactly what they're trying to say. Well, you know, get there's over. no no questioning it, right? Get, get over <laughs> it has one of my all time favorite lines. I'm going to find your inner child and kick its little ass. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a funny. And you know it's really true about uh, well, when he wrote that, which is many years ago, but it still stands true even to this day. There's just so much 
going on with, oh, I'm, I can't do this. Again, you know, the Facebook, the social media. Oh, my gosh, well, somebody insulted me, and, oh, I'm too fat, or I'm too thin, and I'm just not doing this, and I'm not enough money. And, and it's like, come on, man, don't even think about that kind of stuff. You know, I have a, some sort of, of something that moves you forward, and I don't listen to anything on social media, which is really a good idea, if you ask me, you know. Get but over thankfully, it. Get <laughs> thankfully, over it. Thankfully, social media gives us the, the ability and the freedom, which is free, by the way, uh, to go on and advertise and, and speak with our fans and our friends and, and uh, make sure that they know what we're doing. And so, you know, there's a good side to it, too. So it's definitely not all bad. Uh, Ricky, I think, to me, it, it seems like one of the biggest thrills about you performing is that you're also performing with your son, who's the drummer. Oh, gosh, I, I just treasure that so much. And so does he. You know, he's he's in the, the Fab Four. You probably know that, but uh, he's Ringo in that. But he said he would just be happy just doing nothing but death row gigs all the time. But he gets the calls, you know, and he's got to take these shows. And he's a very important part of that that man. But I mean, he's just the best drummer we've ever had, the best singer that we've ever had in the band. He's just an amazing talent, and I'm so proud of him, and just so happy to be playing side by side with him. And I know he feels the same way, and he's just, uh, he's just, you know, kind of loving life with us. And uh, he does. Uh, I think he's become the new, the young uh, star of the band, <laughs> right? Because I mean, Aaron's the young guy, and he's the youngest guy in the band. But Aaron, you know, Aaron's over fifty now, but he doesn't look it. He sure doesn't act it. That's for sure. None of us do. But uh, Richie's in his, you know, he's in his early uh, thirty-two, and uh, gosh, he still looks like he's super, super young. And women, of course, the ladies are going, "How old is your son?" <laughs> He's like 32. They go, oh my gosh, I thought he was like 18. I go, yeah, he, he looks pretty young. <laughs> he does, and he favors me a lot when I was his age. But, uh, you know, he's, he's like quiet and reserved, and, you know, he's quaint. He doesn't really speak up much. He's not outspoken. He's not introverted. He's just not, you know, he's kind of the opposite of me. I'm <laughs> you know, kind of loud mouth. And I talk to people, I talk to anyone, and, and get them to laugh and, you know, have fun with them. And that's just kind of my nature. So he's, he's a little bit more laid back, more like his mom, just really sweet and very, very respectful, yet, you know, doesn't really say a lot to strangers and stuff until he gets to know him and everything, but uh, he loves meeting people, so that's a good thing. So, besides your son, who else is in the band? Well, we got Jim Alexander, unfortunately, he was stopping for me out at the desert when I was doing some uh, weeknight shows out there, and I uh, got to know him, and Brian was on that as well, basically. and I'll tell you about him in a moment, but uh, Jim and I go back probably, uh, gosh, uh, eight, so eight, or eight or nine years or so, and we were lucky enough to get him to want to join the band and bring his, his immense talent, and uh, his just ability to, you know, work for the same objective, and he's, he's a monster guitar player, plays Van Halen like nobody else can, that's one of his biggest uh, influences, I guess you might say, but, uh, you know, he's a little over 50, and he still acts like a kid, and loves to sing, does a great, great singing for his uh, lead vocals and background vocals. And, uh, you know, even though he is from Texas, I got to still admire the guy. <laughs> we, give him, we give him a hard time, right? Because he's always banging on from Texas. But no, he, he loves being here. He's got a wonderful wife and family, and uh, they're from the Redlands area. He's always in Los about the Redlands. And uh, he's just, uh, just a great, great friend. And uh, I'll always uh, think of him as a brother. 
So we, we're glad we got him into the mix. And that was that was a very good move on our behalf. And he does a lot of, of the graphics for us. He's phenomenal with, with you know, fixing up pictures and making up posters and flyers and all that stuff. Because he, he just he's great. He and his son both are fantastic with that. His son's just, gosh, maybe 19 or 20. But he's just really, really sharp and just doing a great job of working with Photoshop and all these different graphics programs. So we get like a, a whole bundle of talent when we uh, when we hired Jim and he came on board with us. And Jim's and Aaron's uh, um, Pink Floyd show as well, Shine On, which is another phenomenal act. And then we got, of course, Brian Nussle. Now, Brian and I have a real cool story. I want to go a little bit in my, you know, took my own a little bit in my, in my background. I moved out here in 1979, December 17th, and I uh, uh, came out. It was 78 degrees. I just left Cleveland. It was like 20 below. <laughs> so I came out to California. I said, okay, I'm home. I don't think I'll be living anywhere else. And I've been here ever since. So in uh, that next year, which is 1980 in March, I subbed for one of the musicians in the Chantays. Now, not a lot of people know that name. The Chantays, unless you're much you know, a little older. But they were very famous in 1963 with a surf called Pipeline that they wrote. Wow. And it was made ex- yeah, it was made extremely famous by the Ventures. Because, of course, the Ventures had, you know, such a big record sales. You know, it was, it was a number one hit for the Chantains on my cash box and number four on Billboard, which is really, really good. But um, the Ventures, of course, made, and that's who I learned it by when I was about eight or nine years old. I was playing Pipeline. And uh, so I joined that band, and we didn't do much but just play over the years. And all of a sudden, you know, after like, Jesus, uh, 15, 14 years after, 13, 15 years after I was in the band, we got somebody that reviewed us and didn't give us a good review because we weren't playing surf music. So then we made our minds up to do a new surf album. So we did one called um, Next Set, which was basically recorded live at Michael's Supper Club in, in Dana Point. And a guy, a very good engineer, came in and just recorded us live with live mics, mixed it, and it sounds fantastic. It's a nice, nice mix. Then in 1995, we uh, worked with a, a really good engineer in a studio in Santa Ana, and that's when I hired Brian Nussel. Now, Brian and I had been together since 1987, playing in an original band. So I knew him a year before I met my wife, which was 1988. Uh, 19, uh, so when we first met, which we've been together now for God, 33 years, believe it or not. So uh, Brian, Brian and I, of course, stayed close over the years. He went to Vegas and did really well playing out there. And I had another guy sub in for him, uh, Maitland Hawk, which is another phenomenal talent. One of the greatest bass players on the planet, uh, playing bass and singing. So Brian and I would, you know, occasionally get back together for different shows and stuff. And uh, that original band, of course, went bye bye. So I got him in the Chantays in '95 when we did that last record. So Brian and I made that record happen. I mean, to my and his credit, Brian Carmen, the co-writer of Pipeline actually wrote all of these themes for these songs and wrote the songs. I arranged them. Every last one of them, I made them work for Brian to his liking. And then, of course, Brian Nussel put all the cool bass parts and all the stuff he does on an improvisational type of, uh, of, of basis. And uh, he just did phenomenal work with it. It just made the record. If you ever get to hear uh, Waiting for the Tide by the Chantage, you will love it. It's fresh, new, not regurgitated surf instrumental music with a couple of vocals on there, too. So that's my story with Brian. And, of course, when he decided to leave his tribute called um, Van Halen, he wanted to join 
desperado because first of all i was in the band and fortunately we've been friends for uh, 36 years and uh i mean i'm friends with his parents and everything i mean i've known him that long and uh, he wanted to get this band so we said okay let's do this so we got him in the band and now we have the five of us richie brian Nussel, jimmy alexander of course aaron i you know you know you need to know about aaron he's like this unbelievably talented songwriter and a great vocalist, and a great keyboard player, and a great guitar player. And he, he's, you know, when you ask him about it, he's always humble about it. Now, he, he's not so humble about some other aspects things he does, but when you ask him about his personal talent, you know, he just says, listen, I do what I can, I play the parts the best I can, and you know, he leaves the heavy, he calls me doing the heavy lifting, that's what I do in the band. I do, I do all the heavy lifting, because I got about, you know, a lot of experience on him, because I started playing. It's been over 60 years now I've been playing guitar. Wow. I started when I was six years old, and I just turned 66 in last June. So it's a, it's a good group of guys, a fun bunch of guys. It's I'll tell you, sometimes it's like herding cats. You've heard that right. expression before. You know, getting everybody together because we all have families and schedules, and we all want to do as much as we can together. But other than that, no, it's, it's just a phenomenal band, and we just, we just love being together. We love uh, each other, you know, and that's a big part of it. And, uh, you know, it, it gets crazy crazy sometimes because it's just you know the pressure and it gets hectic things get hectic but you know we always come out shining like a star and uh we just really love uh doing these shows together because once we hit the stage everything is you know all the old the old debts are off as they say because we just have so much fun and uh you know we stand up there and we go in our minds are going okay let's do this and not screw this up (laughs) so ricky always thinking that Ricky, where can our listeners uh, catch you, uh, catch Desperado Live? We have uh, a little bit of a hiatus coming up. Uh, we may have a New Year's event. We're not sure on that, but our, our year's going to start in January. But February, we have, uh, for children, the, uh, we have some dates in Phoenix and Yuma. So we're doing a little bit of Arizona work. We'll be back out in Laughlin. This coming year will be back probably May. So tell everyone to please look out at the uh, schedule for um, for the, um, the coach house. We're probably going to be there in May. We're not sure yet because we haven't firmed up the dates. But we'll be doing stuff throughout the year. We still have our website. It's being updated as we speak. And we will have a brand new promo going out very, very quickly. Probably, if nothing in this week, definitely by the end of next week with new pictures added onto the website. The website is super easy. It's Desperado, spelled out small case, D-E-S-P-E-R-A-D-O. Uh, um, I'm sorry, DesperadoUSA.com. Uh, Thank you so very much for your time. And we look forward to uh, seeing you maybe uh, next year at the Coach House. I sure hope so. Maybe before, if, if I uh, get some get some shows ahead of time and uh, it's not posted yet, then I'll definitely send you a text, cat, and uh, and maybe we'll see you then. That right. would be great. Thank you take, so much, Ricky. Take care, Ricky. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. You too. Tom and Cat, take care. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
we almost didn't have to be there, did we? <laughs> I know. Ricky, like, he was incredible. Yeah. He, uh, boy, had that energy. And uh, what a great guy. It was so much fun interviewing him and seeing him. And what uh, a blessing it is for him to have his son in the band with him. I bet you, I, I kept thinking that the whole time I was watching them, how much fun that would be to have your child up there on stage Absolutely. with you. Yes. And what a great drummer he is. He really and is. Singer. singer. Yeah. yeah. So are we going to get into uh, our game of foods? Let's do that, and then we'll uh, visit with the folks from Famous Puddin'. Okay, do you want this hand or this hand? Which hand? I'll take the middle hand. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I don't like these. Can I have four, please? <laughs> <laughs> you gonna grill me first? Grill you? Okay, I'll grill you with cooking tools and techniques. Alrighty, let me have it. Whipping egg whites in a bowl made of this metal will improve the loft and stability of your souffles and meringues. Okay. A. Copper. B. Stainless steel. C. Tin or D. Teflon. I'm gonna go with copper. You're right. I, that was an easy one. I knew that. I was thinking stainless steel, but as soon as you said copper, I went, nah. I yeah, that it. was, God, why can't I get those? <laughs> Regional dishes is what you're getting, young lady. Pitmasters use a glass aquarium smoker to make rib tips and hot links in which major barbecue city. They use a glass aquarium smoker. Is it Memphis, Tennessee? Is it Austin, Texas, Chicago, Illinois, or Columbia, South Carolina? I will say D, South Carolina. Chicago. Jeez. Oh, See, you learn something every day, don't you? Yeah, especially when it's something about meats that I don't know <laughs> much about. But Okay, people and pop culture. All righty. Eat them up, yum. Barnes and Barnes surreal 1978 single was all about which roly poly offcut. Okay, <laughs> no clue. A chicken feet, B lamb brains, C sheep intestines, or D fish heads. I hope it's chicken feet. Eh. <laughs> yes. Fish heads. Oh, lovely. Ew. Okay. You, you, Ew. You get ingredients. Sorry in advance, but one of these fruits sometimes contains the digested remains of wasps that get trapped during pollination. Is it A, kiwi, B, banana, C, figs, or D, grapes? Oh, I've never they heard of that. The digested remains of wasps. A was what? Kiwis. Kiwis. Bananas, figs, or grapes? I will say, um, oh my gosh, uh, what was C? Figs. Figs. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> you got it. Good job. Hey. I think we both got one right. Yes. Okay. That's... Hey, I'm lucky to get one right. You always get them right. <laughs> no, I don't. Yes, you do. All right. Let's, uh, like you said, we, we ran into the uh, folks from Famous Puddin' at Europa Village, and we had a nice visit with them recently, so let's check in with them. Let's go with that. Well, Kat, we have, we have E.J. Jr. and E.J. Sr. on the phone with us uh, from Famous Puddin'. Good afternoon, guys. 
Good afternoon. Hello. Good afternoon. How are you guys? Wonderful. We met you very briefly at the Taste of Europa Village. I uh, got a taste of your amazing pudding. So tell us about Famous Pudding, how you got started, and uh, what, your, what your goals are. All right. Um, I'll start off by saying uh, we are a father and son owned local business. Um, you know, we our mission statement is putting smiles on people's faces. <laughs> and our I love core that. values is putting unites diversity nationwide. That's what PUDN stands for. Appreciate you. And the U on our logo um, represents you as a customer smiling. <laughs> and then, a little bit into the history, my dad can uh, take that on. I want to give you guys a little background in history and then bring you forward. Um, basically, uh, I had opened the first putting shop in the entire United States back in 2005, downtown Long Beach on Sixth and Pine. And um, we took over an existing deli down there. So the story goes, when I came home from college, um, well, first of all, when I was growing up, banana pudding was my childhood favorite dessert. <laughs> oh, yum. Yes. And uh, when I was 11 years old, I asked my mom to make it. She did. I asked her to make it for me again within the same week, and she said, I'm tired. Excuse the <laughs> French. It's your ass make your own. Make, <laughs> make <yeah>. your own. <laughs> Yeah, and so um, I said, I get to make it on my own? And she was, they said, she said, yes. Yeah. So I went, she gave me the uh, recipe. I went and got my allowance and bought the ingredients and uh, came home and tried to make it on top of the stove. Mm -hmm. I took it to my dad to sample, and he said, ah, that's not it, son. Keep trying. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, about the third time, I brought it to my dad. I still remember it to this day. He was sitting on the couch. I looked at his eyes and he said, son, whatever you did, never change a thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so I had been making it for friends and family um, for years. And then uh, when I got home from college, I was coaching Pop Warner football in the inner city so I could teach the young kids how to, uh, you know, play football the right way, you know, um, teach them hard work and great ethic and teamwork and uh, we needed a fundraiser for the equipment and our um, banquet and so I said well I know how to make a great banana pudding I'll just make it for <laughs> one week and the actual parents kept ordering all season long <laughs> and it just went crazy well nowadays we would call it viral but then it was just all word of mouth and uh, a parent asked me to take it sample to his friend's restaurant and um i said for what he said because i think you can go into business selling this pudding i said well i don't want to go into business selling pudding. <laughs> 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 well trust me just take it down i said okay so i took it down and of course they fell in love with it they asked for a dozen and before I could get back home, they were calling for a couple of more dozen. And uh, I told them, well, I can't make it that fast. You guys got to give me 24 hours in advance to to be able to make it. It's all on the stove. And, and they said, okay. But anyway, within a month's time, uh, they were ordered over 300 individuals. Wow. Served, 
And I said, wow, what is going on? And so that's when I found out that my childhood favorite dessert just happened to be a lot of other people's favorite dessert. (laughs) Yeah, and you couldn't get it anywhere in the market at that time. Not homemade, of course. Uh, You can go to the store and buy an instant Jello pudding cup or something like that, but nothing that was cooked over the stove by hand, stirred to perfection. And so uh, we knew we really had something going. My wife said, EJ, I don't know what you're going to do, but I need my kitchen back. So she <laughs> And so from, I was just happened to be driving downtown Long Beach and seen a deli for sale. And it was really small and tiny and quaint and cute. And I jumped out the car, looked in the window, and I saw the owner. And there he waved me in. And that was history made. A couple hours later, uh, and I came out owning a deli. And... Uh, My son, EJ, who's on the phone, he was only five years old at the time. And uh, it was it was great, Um, great experience for me. The wife ended up getting sick, though. So we did shut down the business and we end up moving to Arizona where she can have her surgeries. And we end up staying there for about eight years. And uh, I went to work a normal job. She's okay. Um, Yeah, now. But. um, the company I was working for was based on the uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I ran the West Coast for them. And the uh, our CEO name was Rick Elias. I don't know if you guys seen the movie Sully, but uh, the yes. plane that went down. Yeah, he was actually on that plane. Wow. And, yeah, such a great experience to be able to learn from him and just to be able to talk to him like I'm talking to you right now, and just to feel his passion and for life and. Uh, he's grown his business to a billion dollar company mm-hmm. and um, and uh, he's doing really well. And, you know, when COVID hit, they wanted me to move from California to Charlotte to the corporate office. And my wife said ah, she didn't want to move to Charlotte. And so uh, at the same time, my son said, Dad, why don't you bring the business back and show me how to be an entrepreneur? And, and uh, you know what? We took a chance on that and. Here we are to this day. What a great story. (laughs) Thank you. That's great. EJ, from your original uh, deli in Long Beach, how many locations are there now? No, this is just the first one. We started up two years ago. We won Small Business of the Year in the city of Marietta. And uh, we work with several wineries locally here. And uh, we're getting ready uh, to franchise in 2024. And uh, we're just scaling uh, way better than we've projected. And so it's it's just been a great journey. Just so our listeners know, you're right off of Calmia. And in, in, uh, what is that called? Village Walk? Yes, we're in Village Walk 24520, Village Walk Plaza, uh, Suite F. We are uh, right in the same center as BevMo, Guitar Center, Jerome's Furniture, Sharon's Creole, Verizon, and um, uh, Cactus. Okay. Uh, Nutri- mm-hmm. What makes your pudding, what do you think makes your pudding stand out over everybody else's? I'm not well, talking about the store-bought, you know, but... Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm pretty much, there's not a enough crazy people out there to do it from scratch uh, we own five all natural ingredients we're kosher certified the 
putting by itself is gluten free, and I'm stirring by hand right now, mm. and I do everyone in small kettle batches, and so it's it's very unique. The kettle gives it its creamy texture and and smooth taste. Um, you you just can't find it out there. You, it's it's tough. Okay, aside from banana pudding, what other flavors do you have? All right, Eden, it's your turn. So yeah, uh, number one seller is banana pudding, of course. And we do also have a chocolate banana pudding. And then after that, we have a banana caramel crunch, which is like the original banana pudding with roasted almonds and caramel in the jar. Yum. And then we have a banana chocolate crunch, which is chocolate syrup and pecans. And we got a caramel Oreo toffee, chocolate mm. Oreo toffee, mint chocolate chip, Rocky Rose s'mores. Second best seller is a pudding peach cobbler. So that's two homemade desserts Ooh. mixed into one. After that is uh, a strawberry cheesecake, which it is named after my niece and my dad's granddaughter, Carly Faye Strawberry Cheesecake. We have Carter's Carrot Cake, Rain's Cookie Mustard, um, Chocolate Cream Pie, Triple Chocolate, Moose Cake, Pumpkin Pie, Apple Pie, whole bunch of flavors, over 20 plus flavors. Wow. Kat, you know what I uh, smell is a road trip coming up. I do too. <laughs> Do you have those flavors every day or are they just on certain days? You've got such a lot. Yeah, majority flavors we have every day. Now, if there's uh, some flavors are seasonal and we will be making weekly posts or even daily posts of the ones that are seasonal. But the majority of flavors that were named off, we have most of those every day. Oh, you guys are really busy to no do kidding. all that cooking. Yeah. Right. Okay really happens is that uh, it's almost like the Cold Stone shop. You get to come into our location and you can choose from over 30 of our flavors or if you don't like what we have, you can build your own. And uh, you're echoing it. You can build your own, which is a great experience. We also, the only uh, pudding shop that uh, when you come in and order an original banana pudding, the customers get to pick their own banana. Wow. Which is wow. Yes. It get fresh right in front of your eyes, and you can't get a fresher banana pudding on planet Earth, I tell you. So you are on Facebook, Instagram, where else? Yes, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and um, I, I don't know if we started our LinkedIn yet. But yeah, those are our social media platforms. That's fabulous. Well, EJ and EJ, we are going to come pay you a visit. You're making me hungry. <laughs> okay. We'll let you know when we're on our way. <laughs> that would be awesome, you guys. Um, um, what else did we have to say? And uh, No. Any other questions for you guys? I think we're, we're all I set. I think we're good. Um, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you both. Father and son, famous Putin. And uh, we do need to uh, make a field trip there because it's just, it is so good. I know, and I'm not hungry after that beautiful brunch oh. we had, but gosh, I'm tempted to go over after the show and go get some banana pudding. They're, yeah, they're just right in that shopping center off Calmia uh, Village Walk, I think it's called, uh, BevMo Pet uh, PetSmart, I think. Yeah, it's one of those uh, pet places. Bob's, yeah, there's... Guitar Center. Yep. BevMo. That's where they are. This brings us to, well, let's just for a moment talk about Wine of the Sea. Okay. We 
were invited to uh, do a, a tasting with them. And it was a Zoom presentation that went on, wow, an hour and a half or more. And it was the whole story of Wine of the Sea. And if you haven't heard anything about this, it's fascinating. And we'll post a video on the Facebook page. They take um, bottles of wine. They don't make the wine. They go out and buy it. And they put them in metal cages and then put them 100 feet underwater and let them age for a year or so. And when you pull the bottles out of the water, they're covered with barnacles and worms and all sorts of sea creatures. And it, it, if you think about it, at 100 feet underwater, the temperature is completely constant. And there's that atmospheric pressure. that, that you, it's, it's a totally different way of aging wine. And uh, we had a Suave, which is an Italian white, and we also had the Amarone. And the Amarone, you, had, you hadn't heard about this, and not a lot of people have. It's, they take the grapes and they dry them in the sun until they're totally dehydrated. And then they uh, add water to them and rehydrate them and then make the wine. So Amarone on its own is pretty fascinating. That's pretty fascinating. I've never heard of that till now. Or so till we had that aged under, under the sea for about a year. And they both were really fabulous, weren't they? It was so good. I mean, it really was. I I was very impressed with it. And I'm keeping those bottles. Oh, absolutely. They're beautiful. I like to have one with a starfish or something. Wouldn't yeah, that be cool? Yeah, that would. But uh, think about somebody. If you're looking for a gift for somebody that has everything, I'll bet they don't have wine of the sea. And uh, it, it's not cheap. The white was $159 a bottle, and the red was $199. So, but if you think of the, you know, they, they a have to go out and buy the bottles, and then uh, go through the process of putting them in a metal cage, putting them underwater, aging them for a year. It's uh, there's a lot of work uh, and and expense that goes into making that wine. It was worth it. I mean, yeah. if you've got a few extra bucks and be a good gift, Christmas oh, gift, a novelty for somebody. I'd be thrilled to get a bottle of that. Well, now I my... know what to get you for Christmas. <laughs> I'm not holding my breath. Well, the thing is, you get it, I get it too. We get to share it. <laughs> That's right. That's what happens when you're partners in life. That's right. So, I met Eileen, and I'm saying I instead of we because you didn't meet her the first time. I was over at my friend Scott's house and interviewed her uh, in their dining room on the phone. She was in. Uh, she grew up in Mississippi, but she also uh, has a home in North Carolina. I think she's she and James Taylor are neighbors. Oh, we have to go visit her. <laughs> yes, we do. Eileen St. Lauren is just a delightful woman, and she has a new book out now called Southern Light, Oxford, Mississippi, which has been nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. And uh, the title here of the press release, Southern Light Takes on Life of Its Own in Hauntingly Indelible Holiday Story with a Hitchcockian Twist. She is just an amazing writer. And uh, don't you love hearing her talk? Oh, I do. I love her accent, too. And she just, uh, she's just as real as it gets. And uh, I can't recommend two books any more highly than I do uh, Good Life Mississippi and Southern Light Oxford Mississippi Eileen St. Lauren she is a, a gift she's been called the daughter of Faulkner and if wow. you love reading man well should we get into our interview with Eileen let's do it 
Southern Light, Oxford, Mississippi is the second novel by Eileen St. Lauren, and I'm so honored to have Eileen on the show and so blessed, Eileen, since we first visited months ago. I can now truly call you my friend and Kat's friend. I agree, and I feel so blessed and grateful for both your friendships and um, Kat and Tom, and I appreciate you so much. You're such wonderful people. Well, thank you. So, Tom, I know you've been reading the book, and I can't wait to get my hands on it. It's fabulous, and uh, the, the I got a kick out of the first chapter. Correct me if I'm wrong, Eileen. The first chapter is one sentence that covers about two <laughs> two pages. Am I correct? <laughs> you're you're absolutely correct. It's uh, approximately three hundred and words, one sentence with a perfect sentence. And um, I wrote it a couple of years ago in North Carolina. Um, after an accident I had, and I thought, you know, all these authors from years gone by, like, um, that wrote The Great Gatsby, Fitzgerald, right? Um, and Faulkner and, and many more had long sentences. And I don't have a long sentence, but I, I used to write long sentences, but my professors would just give me a hard time and say, no, but in 49 words, Eileen, break it up. And I would say, but why? It makes sense. And um, so I'd break it up. But this time I decided not to break it up. And um, I wrote the same professor and I asked her, I said, look, I got a sentence and all I want you to do and your husband is to tell me and fix it where it's perfect. Don't change anything. So that's why it's punctuated the way it is. And um, I sat down and wrote it, and it kind of is the narrative of the book. You think, well, you have a, well, once you finish the book, you'll, you can go back and look at that. And it's also, you know, dated 1940. So perhaps if I didn't write it, perhaps Faulkner wrote it, and I got it from my professor who <laughs> used to know Faulkner. Wow. And, um, yeah, and he used to, I, I used to take Faulkner co- courses at University of Nebraska and Lincoln. And I took all, read all his novels in one day, read one book in one day, wrote the paper the next, finished the course the third day. And you had like, I think it was nine weeks, you know, in, in a semester. And he would say, come in here and sit down. <laughs> How'd you do this? I said, oh, he's just drunk writing all that stuff. I said, I said, <laughs> that's what I said. I said, that's easy for me. He said, are you serious? So he started, you know, sort of mentoring me and listening to what I had to say. And he said, you know, you're one of the few people that ever came in here that understood any of this. I said, oh, my goodness, I grew up in Mississippi in an alcoholic home as well. I'm an adult child of an alcoholic. And I said, all I got to say was the man was drunk when he wrote these books. <laughs> and this professor had actually become an alcoholic, not maybe not, but he was one. He said, well, you know, I can believe that, you know, <laughs> so we became buds and everything. And that's how I, I learned about Faulkner. And I said, and people, uh, I had another professor in North Carolina, Charles Edward Eaton, I had the same birthday. He lived to be 89, I believe, almost 90. And I wrote everything I've ever written with him in 11 years over that period, except for that sentence. And uh, he would read my work, and I would take courses. 
and he's the one that called me the daughter of Faulkner. He said, you're practically the daughter of Faulkner. And I said, well, I don't know about that. And that's okay. However, I want to be my own person. You know, I, I mean, that's fine and good. But, I mean, who? I don't know if anybody reads Faulkner anymore. You know, so in this particular book, you've got a little bit of Faulkner. But also, there's an astonishing surprise towards the end of the book. <laughs> but I feel like, you know, in my other people is a Hitchcocky, you know, Alfred Hitchcock twist, you know, and I did watch a lot of Hitchcock and I actually enjoyed that. I have a lot of uh, justifiable homicides in my work. And, <laughs> and it's really fun to kill somebody and get away with it, you know? So you can think about all these people and things you want to kill and just put that right in it, you know, and just go for it and start killing people. So I learned how to how to kill characters, like a lot of them, in, in books, upcoming books. And it got to be fun. So, you know, they call me an heiress of Edora Welty and daughter Faulkner, and that's fine. But again, I'm going to be Eileen. You, you are know, Eileen. Wanna... You're, you are very much your own person, and don't change a yeah. thing. I think you're delightful, Eileen. Oh, thank you so much. And, you know, I'm an original. I'm blessed. I'm blessed because I can sit down with one word and write 30 pages. That's great. And what a gift. I really can. I've always been able to do that. And I can write in any genre except sci-fi. I don't know nothing about sci-fi. And um, that's just too much for me to have to, to watch sci-fi at this stage of my game. I'm, I'm a lot older than you would think. And um, having said that, I mean, whatever I read, my subconscious can mimic it. But I'm my own person. So I got a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I pray, and it works for me. These characters come to me, and I see them in my imagination. I can, like, see them walking through the house, you know. But one thing I never saw in my imagination, this is true, are the faces of the characters. Mm. I just see these images of people like a little old lady and this tall man and so on and so forth. And I never see a face. So I have to go back and I have to actually create that face out of something, you know, because I don't see anybody's face. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I hear the voices in my head. Mm. That That's why the work is mostly dialogue. So I'm like big on dialogue. Da, 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 you know, talk, 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 talk. My characters talk their heads off because <laughs> I hear I hear these these characters talking. You know, so sometimes they talk too fast for me. It depends on if I'm longhanded, and I used to longhand everything, and I pretty much do. But some things I I do type, and um, it's just it's fun. And if I don't do that, if I don't write, I die from the inside out. Mm. I get depressed, I get sad, and I miss my characters. You know, I go back, believe it or not, and I'll say, I got to read my book. And people say, you didn't read your book? I said, no. (laughs) (laughs) I said, I just wrote the book and it got, you know, all this. But I haven't, like, read it, and I need to read it. Then I'll sit there and laugh or cry, and I, I miss these people. I feel like they're my friends and family, and they're just, like, all a part of me, but yet it's fiction. Well, you created yeah. some wonderful friends in Good Life Mississippi, which was your debut that came out, what, at the end of last year? 
Yes, the same time, more or less, Good Life Mississippi. And there's actually a book that follows it called My Neighbors, Good Life Mississippi, a collection of 11 stories that was going to be published instead of this one. But something happened at the copyright office and it didn't come through. This one came through, so I had to go with this one. And so the one that follows Good Life will be published January the 2nd of, of 24. It's it's all ready to go. And um, it's, it's an amazing book. And Good Life, everybody lo- loved Good Life. And they, I don't want to be pigeonholed. And I got nothing against Myra Boone and those 100 characters. I love those people, okay? I mean, they're, they're just really great. I love these people. But I want to do other things, too. You know, I want to write other things. And um, so people were shocked <laughs> with this book is the best word to put it. Some people like it. Some people don't say nothing. Some people keep talking to me. Some people never spoke to me. <laughs> so, well, you know, hey, you know, broke my heart. That's fine. I'm not stopping writing. Okay. Good for you. Please and don't. No, I'm not. I want a movie. I want a series. And I'm serious about that. And I know it takes a long time. But I got time. You know? And, and you were time. you were nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. Congratulations, Eileen. Yeah, thank you so much. That's why people were pretty surprised about that, too. <laughs> That's great. I was surprised. Three, three nominations, actually, uh, which was another huge surprise but you know i'm not trying to i'm just gonna say what i think okay i'm be honest this book is a good book you know yes it is i mean you know think about woody allen don't think about his personal life think about that book he wrote midnight in paris with all those characters in it which i saw a few years ago with um oh i don't know hemingway and, and fitzgerald and all those writers groupies in it you know, and I didn't get that idea from him. And, you know, I can write like Woody Allen. You know, you give me a chance. I can get me a movie, too, if somebody had just helped me. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to bet against you, Eileen. I think you, can, I think you sh- should have a movie. Yeah. And, you know, it's, not a, it's about touching people, about reaching the world and making a difference in the world. It's not about the money. I've never been about the money, and I don't make any money anyway. Writers, whatever they say, writers don't make money until they do, and they just don't, you know. But this has acknowledged me and my talent, and that made me feel good because I worked all these years, you know, and I don't know if you remember, but, you know, I was blind for three years, and I have temporary sight now. You can't look at me and tell it, you know. I I, I, I uh, dress up pretty good. <laughs> And <laughs> I fix up pretty good, but, you know, I don't see, you know, I only see from 12 to 1 o'clock in the right eye, and I see half of the other eye, and sometimes I see good, sometimes I don't see good. And um, so that's an, another thing that I have, you know, quote against me. And my surgeon at Duke Hospital said, my God, he said, I had to read this book, he said, because with those eyes of yours, I don't know how you wrote a paragraph, that's what he said. <laughs> That's true. He actually said that. He's one of the top ten surgeons in the country at, uh, for retina surgery. And uh, he just was in shock. And I said, oh, I can write. You know, I said, I can write. And, you know, there's a few things I can do, um, Cat and Tom. I can read. I can write. 
and I can cook and I can clean. Other than that, you know, and I can run my mouth, as you can see. Wouldn't it be fun if the three of us could get together in the kitchen one of these days? Oh, that would be fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I cook, you know. Believe it or not, I, I'm cook, I cook. You know, I don't cook just Southern. I actually don't cook Southern food, believe that. I kind of do gourmet-like. And I tend to make it up as I go, and it's always good. And I won a bunch of cooking contests one time, entering stuff. And um, first time I'd ever made it, and I won contest. And they said, how did you do that? Nobody can make a souffle. I said, I don't know. I just did it. You know, <laughs> I just did it. So it works. So the, my point is I'm creative, you know, and whatever I do, it just works itself out, you know. I write, I don't make, you know, I cook, I don't follow, but I will follow a recipe. You know what I mean? I, I do follow recipes. I'm not, you know, I'm not no genius in the kitchen, but um, I like cooking, you know, and stuff and I'm I'm good at it, you know, but um, so that's me, you know, who I am. You know, I was reading through your press release and I, you know, and it sounds almost like sort of Agatha Christie-like. Yeah, it does, you know. I think about that, too. Um, when I was a little girl, when I was young, when I was a little girl, I mean, 10, 11, 12, 13, I, I consider that little. But now it's not considered little. But when I was growing up, you were a child at those ages. And I used to read those books. I used to read her work. And um, I... I I'd sit in my closet and read with a flashlight. Mm. Mm. I read Mark Twain, and I read books on countries. I would come home from school every day and sit on the couch, and we had a set of Compton's encyclopedias that took years to pay for because Mama had to pay like $5 a month or something, you know, and that was a lot of money And um, for then. And... Um, I'd sit on the couch and read one book a day after school. So within one to two hours before Daddy got home for supper, for supper, I'd read me a book. And that's a true story. I, I was fast. Or, or look at those encyclopedias. I learned how to write reports and be a reporter looking at those Compton's encyclopedias. Wow. And it, yeah, I wasn't good at school. I was just really, I was pretty doggone bad, but um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't favor it. Let's put it that way. If I could get out of it, I would. <laughs> so I had to go to the teachers. I had to find a way to to make a good grade, you know. So I would go to the teachers and say, "Can I do extra credit?" And they'd say, "Yeah." Back then, that's what you do. And uh, they'd say, "What do you want to do?" I said, "Can I write a report?" So I would write a report on on whatever we were studying, you know. And I'd get those Compton's encyclopedias and I'd write a report. I didn't plagiarize or anything. I actually, you know, wrote a report and I got a grade on it and that helped me pass. And I would do extra credit and stuff. And, and I got a good story. One time I was really bad in science and biology. Okay. And we had like six weeks. Back then it was six weeks, not nine weeks in a, in a semester, a quarter. And we had to do a science project. Well, I waited like three days before it was due to do it. And we were supposed to do research. And I made the entire science project up. Okay? <laughs> the entire thing up. Lie 
I'd like a dog later <laughs> on. I'd like a dog. And painted this board, put all this stuff on it. Did it? I did it on, you ready? You ready for this? Ready. I did it on six weeks or whatever study of cigarette smoke and other things on worms because my daddy Whoa. smoked pawmalls and I, my mama sewed worms under the rabbit cages for people to fish and I put worms in oyster charts and put it on that board and wrote worms and grain and did all this stuff. Guess what? They mm-hmm. called my name over the, <laughs> the intercom and said, Eileen Stringer, come to the gymnasium right now. I thought, I am in trouble. They are <laughs> spilling me now. You know, they're sending me home. What am I going to do? Mama's going to beat me, mm-hmm. you know? And I won honorable mention. Amazing. Wow, that's great. Yeah. What a great story. True story. Wrote it because it was the writing, I think. And they asked me to stand beside that project for the next, you know, week and explain it to people that came in. I knew I was in big trouble, so <laughs> I got sick and I didn't go to school. Ah. Wow. I didn't. It's a true story because I could not explain anything. I didn't even remember what I wrote, and um, that's how I passed my my science and biology course. Okay. Wow. Through it with that, he said, "This is wonderful." <laughs> and you know, you think about it, cigarette smoke did have an effect on people. You know? Big time. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> that's ridiculous. I, it's the craziest thing I ever did. But I, you know, I was writing then and didn't know it. You know. Eileen, you say the Southern light affects people knowingly and unknowingly in the South. Tell tell me more about that. Yes. The way the light, in my opinion, and from what I've seen, the way the light shines in the South, it affects people. You know, like some people are really up and some people are really down, which down would be depressed and up would be euphoric, you know. And um, the way that light affects them it's just a turn i can see it even here in north carolina i I live in chuckle hill north carolina on my neighbor's house at a certain time of day i can see the way that light hits the side of that house and i see that same light because you know i guess the sun's the sun in the south um the way i used to see it in mississippi and so in my book this light affects the characters you know and they know it and some of them don't know it you know, it, it shines through the porch swing a certain way. It shines in the cemetery a certain way. It shines on the road a certain way. It shines on a character or a ghost a certain way. And it has supernatural uh, effect on the people. You know, that's what I believe, that I believe in the supernatural. And I believe uh, that the Southern Light has a supernatural effect on people. It has a huge impact on them. And so it does on my characters as well, dead and alive. You have such a gift with words, Eileen. And and again, so blessed and honored to have you as a guest and and so very blessed to have you as a friend. Definitely. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I've grown to love you guys and think the world of you, you know, and I think of you, you know, my heart, you have a special place in my heart because you're one of the first people that gave me the opportunity to talk and interview and um you know i have you on my website there's a link with uh good life mississippi talking to you on my website and uh i really you know appreciate you and i see all the work that you do and 
you make people happy. Uh-huh. So what's yeah. next for you? Any other books lined up? Yes, uh, January the 2nd of 24, which is the first Tuesday in January, my next book uh, called My Neighbors, Good Life, Mississippi, is a collection of 11 stories that follows the first book, Good Life, Mississippi. And it's Myra Boone, it's three characters, Myra Boone, Johnny Paul Russell, whose daddy's the town drunk, and he don't go to school. And, uh, yeah, and uh, he's so funny. I love Johnny Paul. He, is, he says the funniest things, and he's, he's actually very smart. He's very loyal to his daddy, who's a drunk. And um, his daddy, well, I'm not going to get into that. I'll just start talking about John Paul. And um, then there's Myra Boone, the main character, and uh, her best friend, Margie Ann Roberts, who's the preacher's baby girl who her mother tries to kill her all the time. <laughs> she, just, she just doesn't like her. <laughs> so she, she tries to, she's always trying to kill her. And she's real <laughs> smart. And she has to wear scarves on her neck to cover it where her mama tried to choke her. God. And oh those God. three, true story, true. And there's some people that went through that kind of stuff, believe it or not. They've told me about it. They read that book and they told me that's what they went through. And I'm like, oh, my God, I made that up. Because <laughs> so, I wanted her to wear a scarf. So that book is coming out. They're all go visit Myra's neighbors. And there's 11 neighbors. It's brutally honest. Good. It, it's very upsetting to people. And it's these neighbors telling their stories of how people mistreated them. Mm. And the Senate story is called The Devil's Wife. And um, I love that story. I wrote that story here because I needed, you know, 5,000 more words. And I sat down and wrote it here one day, two days. And uh, it's the center story. And that's the cover story. That's The Devil's Wife on the cover. Mm. You can see it's it's in pre-order, but I don't you know, know if people really pre-ordered. It's not advertised at all. And uh, so that one's next. And so that's why I could have a series because Good Life and that go together. And Good Life has about t- over 20 chapters. And this one has 11. So each chapter was written for an episode. It's perfect. And our, our listeners can go to net, right? Yes. And uh, when they first log on, see it, it's about this current book. And if they just scroll down, they can see about Good Life Mississippi. And if they're interested in listening to interviews and other things those links are on there and if if they want to order the book they can order it from either amazon or barnes and noble or or their local bookstore but you know it's or on the website it's a very affordable book it's only twenty dollars i did that on purpose because i thought um that would be a good christmas gift yes you know why not and people can see can see the interview you did on uh, CBS Memphis. Yes, that was an interview. That was my uh, first TV interview ever a year ago. Then they had me back with this. I was so surprised. And they can see me there on CBS in Memphis. And I may be on a major network, uh, like syndicated network, within the next month or so. But I'm, I'm not... 100% 100% on that, but I sure am hopeful. Well, we'll, we'll say our <laughs> prayers for you, Eileen. Thank you so much, and I appreciate everything you do for people and everything you do for me, and God bless you, and I hope to talk to you again, and I hope we all 
have a long and happy life. Well, thank you so much, Eileen. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much, and take care. We love you, Eileen. Oh, I love you the most. My mama used to say, I love you the most. <laughs> and I love you, Kat, the most. And I love you, Tom, the most. And I really appreciate you from my heart. Aww. And, um, you know, I, I just want to touch people and and teach them. What I would like for them to get from my work is to learn how not to treat others. Mm. Yeah. That that's a people great people don't treat each other too good in my books no, yeah. <laughs> well that's a great and, note to end on and and uh, we will be in t we'll stay in touch and, and we'll talk again soon thank you so much take care guys thank you, you. bye-bye a lot of love going on there cat always a lot of love she is a sweetheart yep. absolute sweetheart and i mean what a blessing for the three of us that mm -hmm. we are now we truly are friends we are friends she posts on our pages and we post on hers i get and... text messages from her i mean we're we're buddies good yeah good 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 eileen st lauren look her up uh, order her books you will not be disappointed and three nominations for that pulitzer yeah incredible she's so gifted and uh, so down to earth well, I am so excited about this show. I love everything we've done so far. We're going to end the year in a few weeks. We're going to have just a couple of reruns, I guess, at the end of December so we could take some time off. Yep, well-earned time off. We do have a, a couple more guests uh, that we'll be visiting with before the year wraps up. Uh, we have Nick Heritatos, mm -hmm. uh, who's written uh, his life story. and it's uh, Yeah, he was um, on our friend Michelle Murata's studio city now show yes and that's how we heard about him and so i can't wait to uh fit. you've got his book now. i'm reading his book so i'll be fully prepared with questions to ask him when he's on our show and then you're going to give me the book and i will have a few questions there you go but you could also hear his interview on studio city yes today studio city now now that's <laughs> it i keep getting him here. it's studio city now with michelle Morada. Well, anyway, that brings us to a close. We, We're going to listen to some more Desperado. Yes. A couple more songs of Desperado. We have, we have a couple more to play. And uh, and, and Ricky told us how it, people can find them, their yeah. website. Yes, he did. So that's all in the uh, visit that we had. And, and then until next week. I love you. I love you too, Tom. Bye-bye. Thank you. This is Eileen St. Lauren, and we're listening to Chords. Vines and Dines. Thank you so much for tuning in. Give me the best of your life
Hey folks, this is Robert Rankin Walker here with Quartz Vines and Dines. So excited to be talking to you guys.